They devoted themselves to the scriptures. To life together. To life together. To life together. To gathering around tables. And to prayer. God was powerfully moving through their giving and serving together. God was powerfully moving through their giving and serving together. God was powerfully moving through their giving and serving together. Their communities, friends, and families noticed. Their communities, friends, and families noticed. And God deepened and grew His church. And God deepened and grew His church. His church. His church. His church. And God deepened and grew His church every day. So let me ask you, what is the first thing that pops into your mind when you hear the word church? This is a big audience participation week, so what's the first thing? What, what, what do you think of when it, yeah, just shout it out. Wait a minute, what? Family love. God, what? Treats? Oh. <laughs> Anything else? <clears throat> Worship, community. <clears throat> Those are good. How many of you immediately thought of a church building? Did that pop into your head? <clears throat> or a worship service. Right? I'll, occasionally I'll just ask this question and then through the new members class, but it's amazing how often we tend to think of church as a thing, like it's a place, right? In our language, think about it like, where do you go to church? What time does church start? You know, I'm going to church today. Isn't it, our language, you know, it, it wasn't always known like that. And there's something about even the language, sometimes how we think of it when church is a thing that just, honestly, it leaves me unsatisfied. Because if the living God has infused himself into a group of people, I think it should be something so much more. I've grown to love the church. I, I <clears throat> grew up. Uh, in Fairborn, Ohio, actually just outside of Dayton. So my heart is going out with some of the tragedy that has just hit that community. Uh, but in the church I grew up, it instilled in me a love for the scriptures. Uh, I learned how to serve there. My, my family, my mom was the secretary. My dad was a contractor. So we opened a building, closed a building, fixed a building, you know, made sure things were ready in the building. But I just remember, you know, carrying tables. You know, the men set up the tables in the church, right? But as a little guy, you know, serving alongside these men, it instilled just some deep things in me. And then in Athens, Ohio, when I, where I went to college there, the, the church there just, they had an adopt-a-student program. And so there were, there were people, and especially one couple that, that just wrapped their arms around me and just kind of were my parents away from home. And I was in a small group in that church, a men's group. And I was the youngest one, I kid you not, by maybe 50 years. I mean, everyone was like in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, and me. But that was my group. And these guys would like line up on the, the, the foul line at the baseball fence, you know, during the games and practice. And uh, they became a part of my life. And then um, in Pittsburgh, when Swann and I were first married, the, the, the little church of about 120 people on a weekend that gathered outside of, of Pittsburgh, they, they taught us community. Every single person was connected in some form of community and group, and, and so we grew, and our understanding of what it meant to be the church happened through these smaller communities that just loved us, and we loved them. We ended up with a sports ministry, and it took me to Europe. Uh, I took our family traveling to Europe uh, over the years, and, and there I had a very different picture of the church, the picture that made me angry. 
because I saw that the, the church that was stale and it almost seemed dead and, and we had hundreds and hundreds of people through this ministry wanting to take their next steps to know Jesus and to begin a relationship with him and the churches, they just didn't care. They didn't want to follow up. They weren't even interested in, in taking the stacks of where people said, I want to know more. I'm starting a relationship with God and they just didn't want to follow up and it, it fueled an anger in me that said, that is not the church and we've got to do something about it. That led me into church ministry where I've spent the last almost 20 years wanting to grow thriving churches that weren't about buildings and services, but were about the community of faith, the people of God that were alive and moving in each other's lives and through that where they lived, worked, and played, that the presence of God would spill into those areas in a unique way. That brought me to Chicago <clears throat> to bring some of those passions and to partner with Christ Church in ministry, and then just two years ago, uh, we began this adventure for the church to go out, right? And for a new group of people and other groups of people to join in. And, and this is why I'm so excited that we've come to this moment to talk about what it means to be devoted, to reimagine church in the fullest and of all that it could be, something that, that just grabs our hearts and our lives. I've always been intrigued by the early church, where it all began. In Acts chapter 2. Because see, then it wasn't a thing as much as Luke, who wrote uh, Acts, he wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. Luke didn't even call him the church. He called this new community of people in the name of Jesus simply people of the way. Because that's how they were known. There was just a way about them. And as the verse that we're going to see read, that the way they lived their life together with God and one another, that people were being added to their number daily, those that, that were being saved. There was something attractive. There's something that people longed for. And we need to go back to those roots. We need to explore what that is because I believe that they reimagined what it meant to live, to have faith in God through Jesus Christ. And they're handing that torch to us. And in our day, we need to take that and say, how do we become the grace and the presence of God in the places where we live, work, play, worship, where we gather around tables, everywhere that God would send us? How do we be that together? Because when we say we are the church, I believe that should mean something significant, don't you? You can say amen if you want. All right, there we go. So we're going to spend four weeks just expanding our imagination. And we're going to go back to the beginning. We need to look at those roots because we, if we don't understand our foundation that actually we're built upon, that has led us here today, then we're, we may do a lot of good things, but we may miss the very heart of what God has done and is doing even today in his church, the people of God around the world. And there's one word that's going to guide us, and you've already seen it's kind of in big bold, it's the word devoted. And we are going to learn over these next four weeks really what that word means, even though Dave looked it up in the dictionary, uh, we're going to explore that word further. So, so let's go back to the beginning. Before we get into the different things we're going to devote ourselves to, I just want to go back to the beginning and look where it all began. <clears throat> we're in the book of Acts, and, and as I said, Luke wrote this, this long story, part one is about Jesus, part two is about the church, Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the church leaders, and where the church went. And so in Acts chapter two is where we're going to camp out these next several weeks. Let me give you a little context. Jesus has been resurrected. 
And he tells his disciples to wait. He's appearing to them over a period of, of uh, 50 days here after Passover. And he tells them to wait. They're not, he says, wait, because power is going to come on you, and you are going to be my witnesses, beginning here, but it's going to radiate. It's going to go out to the whole world. And then that moment happens. The Spirit comes at Pentecost. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that too. It comes at Pentecost. And Peter stands up. That The Spirit comes with wind and fire. This represents the presence of God. And Peter, Peter preaches the first message to the people. And it's about Jesus, that he lived. He died for our sins. He was resurrected. He appeared. He went into heaven and he's going to come again. He preaches this message. And here we pick up the story. It's in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. There's Bibles around, and any week we always have these Bibles out. Grab one, because we want you digging into the Scriptures and just testing and make sure what I'm saying is right. But anyway, starting with verse 36, right? So that's the context. Peter's preaching, and this is how he ends. <clears throat> he says, let all Israel, in other words, the people of God, let them be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Those are big titles. Saying Jesus is king, the Messiah. He is the anointed one that you have been waiting for that will be the redeemer and saver of his people, ushering in a new day. When the people heard this, the spirit is moving. The word is proclaimed, the gospel. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off and all whom the Lord will call. <clears throat> Amazing words, but it's that phrase, the people were cut to the heart that has always intrigued me for years. In fact, I would say decades because see, it was being cut to the heart that led them to go somewhere, that led a change in their life, that led to their repentance, that led to their baptism, that would lead, as we're gonna see, to their devotion. Have you ever been cut to the heart before? I mean, life brings, I mean, I saw it happen with some folks this week, but when we're cut to the heart, something comes in, right? It pierces us, it lodges itself, it grabs hold of us in a way that we just can't, you can't let go of it. And life is never going to be the same again. When, when, when you're cut to the heart, it demands a response. It pulls at us, gnaws on us. And it happens to these people at Pentecost. And they ask the question, what should we do? They didn't know, but they knew something had come into them. Something had happened. And this is when Peter says, repent and be baptized. Repentance, as we know, is to change direction. In other words, they were, they were going this way, trying to be the people of God. But now Peter is saying, Whatever you've been doing, wherever you've been going, whatever you've been devoted to, it's now changed. We're now showing you that the Spirit has come. We're living now in a day that people had dreamed about, that the prophecies had, had uh, predicted that it's now come. And they were blown away. And he said, be baptized, identify yourself with Jesus Christ. Baptism is that, it's that dying to self. It's, it's the act of repentance of saying, the old self is done. 
It's the imagery of, of going into the baptistry or it doesn't even matter the mode of baptism. There's different churches do it different ways, but it still represents the same thing. It's a covering. It's an ending of the old so that we can rise in this new life, not just forgiven, but for the spirit to enter our life and now our lives are placed in Christ's. And that's an that's a image I want you to hold on to because so often we talk about Jesus is in my life and that's true. The spirit does indwell our lives but I think the image of that when we rise, when we, when we give our lives to God, we put our life in Christ. So the life we live, we now live from Christ. The words we speak are the words of God, the very presence of God in us, flowing through us. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the presence of God in this world because his spirit indwells us and we are in him. <clears throat> That's what happened. That's the context for these 3,000 or so people who are cut to the heart. And it wasn't just a moment. It wasn't just a moment, but it was a new beginning. Their life of devotion that would never be the same again. And so this leads us really then to our theme verse that we're gonna read in just a second of what it means to be devoted. But let me just ask you, Dave was trying to explain it, but, but what does devoted mean to you? This is your next participation moment. When you hear the word devoted, what does that mean to you? Nice and loud. Committed, good. Focus. Passionate. What? Painful? Oh, maybe I, that was my wife. Maybe I interpreted that wrong. I don't know. <laughs> well, wait a minute. That was my wife. What's Anyway. Um... Devotion has a pursuit. Devotion has a focus. Devotion has an anchoring point. It has a foundation. It's something that pulls our investment. And what I think we see in these early people that were cut to the heart, right, that said, I'm committed to going a new way and I'm gonna identify with Jesus in that way. Um, their devotion was actually a hunger for wanting to live into and discover more about what has now happened. And that wasn't expressed, not just in what they knew, but it was expressed in how they lived life with God and with each other. That was devotion. It was this, this leaning into, going further, wanting more of what had just started in their life. And so that's the root. That's the foundation of where the church began being cut to the heart, the spirit, the gospel, all coming in, them proclaiming their, their devotion and living into it. And now we hear what their life together looked like. And I want to invite Melanie Mariner, the daughter of Sharon. We have like the mother-daughter duo this morning leading us. Would you come and read to us what was going on in that early church when they started together? Acts. Chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Awesome. Thank you, Melanie. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. That's how they lived their life. That's how they lived in community with one another was from this devotion to Jesus as Lord and King. And these verses are actually a summary of what happens. If you read the next chapter in Acts, chapters in Acts, it gives a little more context of kind of amplifying some of these things. But in those few verses, it gives a snapshot of this is what the life of the church looked like. And there were some key ingredients that I truly believe is still our foundation today. And that's what we're leaning into kind of one by one over these weeks. And even as we're calling it the Acts 2 remix, that perhaps these words would characterize in our own way what our life looks together when we live it forward. <clears throat> so the first thing they devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching. Now what I'm not gonna do is stand up here and preach you should read your Bible more. Almost every group and people I talk to, most people admit, and even myself at times, you know, I wish I read my Bible more. Like, we'll just say that's a given, that we wanna engage scripture. But what I wanna do is, I want us to just marvel at just what God does in and through his word, this living, active, more than just words on a page. <clears throat> As I said, Luke wrote uh, both Luke and Acts. If you put those two together, Luke wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. I don't know if you knew that. More than Paul, more than Peter, more than John, even with all their writings. The, the Luke contains by volume more uh, text than any of those. But here's what's amazing. In the first book, in the Gospel of Luke, it's all about Jesus, right? And his life and his death and these followers that are following him. And then in Acts, part two of the story is Jesus goes, but he sends his, the promised spirit, right? And something is infused and a new beginning. And now the church um, it's a story, it's a, it's a traveling story of now not the gospel centered on Jesus in Jerusalem or Galilee, but now it's the spreading throughout the entire world. And if you put these books together, what you find is the kingdom of God breaks into our world um, through the birth of Jesus. God comes into our humanity, born of woman. And then in Acts, it begins with now Jesus gone, but now the spirit God, the very presence of God coming now to indwell all people that would believe in Jesus and birthing the church as the carriers of this good news, not just in word, but their very life and their community together. That would be the attractive witness that people are going to come to know God. And it doesn't matter now of your social status, your economic realities, it doesn't matter your nationality, your ethnic roots, your political realities, the kingdom has burst into the world. And it's for everybody. Everybody. The game has changed. And what's amazing is that God says, I'm going to have my church be the A plan. And I don't need a plan B because they are going to be the carriers. My spirit in them. My spirit moving in this world. Like they, they are going to be the ones that carry the message. And I just think, man, Wow. I mean, just even how cool the way Luke writes and brings these things together, but just the reality of who we are individually, but who we are together. And this expression and all the expressions of the church, the people of God around the world, like we are one because of Christ. 
And so the, the, the church being birthed through the spirit of Pentecost is even maybe more significant or some nuances than maybe in what you know. Like I, I always heard, you know, well, you know, at Pentecost, you know, the church began. I'm like, yep, yeah, Pentecost. Do you know anything about Pentecost? Listen to how kind of cool God is, right? Sorry, Lord. Like I know that's amazingly cool. Like I don't know what attributes to, to put on him there. But, but here's what it is. When the Spirit comes, three important realities. Tim Keller, who's a pastor, a theologian, he's written a lot. But he says there's three realities that give life to the ongoing life of the church. He says it's a foretaste of the future. It's the personal presence of God, and it's the commission that we are a sent people. We are a traveling story all the way up to this day. But let me just say a word about each of those. A foretaste for the future. Pentecost happened 50 days after Passover. Too big the holidays. What holiday do we celebrate around Passover? Easter. All right, so this is after that. Part of the feast of Pentecost was for the first fruits. Because you see, they were more of an agrarian society, a lot of farmers, and so they, they relied on the crops. And at Pentecost, it was a first fruit. They, they celebrated a feast with some of the first fruit because that was to show them the harvest that was gonna come later at the end of the season. Are you following what's going on here? The Spirit comes at Pentecost and the Spirit is given to God's people now as a foretaste, as a deposit, as a, as a guarantee, as the scriptures tell us, of the harvest that's gonna come at the end of time when Christ returns. He goes, it's happening now, the harvest has begun and I'm gonna give you a first taste of it. All who would believe in me, who would repent, be baptized and be filled with the Spirit, you get the first taste to live in it now. The power, the joy, the presence of God in your life and you are gonna realize it in all of its fullness when Christ returns. We're living in it now with just this expectation and hope for what's to come. I just think, man, and then it's the very presence of God now that indwells us. This didn't happen before. And now it's going to indwell all believers. And the presence of God brings us into this relationship. Jesus in John chapter 17 says, Father, may they be one. May they, may, may they be in me as I am in you. May they be in us. And Jesus is talking about the fellowship experienced in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, and we are now in Christ. We get to be part of that kind of love relationship with God, and it's from that place that we learn to love God. It's from that place that we learn to engage and love each other. That's why all these barriers are broken down. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. It's the love of God now that mediates, that is, becomes that, that, that fuel in our relationships, and it all comes from God. Isn't it any wonder that Jesus says, the two great commands, the things that hang, everything hangs on these two. Love God, that's where it starts. And then love one another. It's because of the presence of God that has entered our lives. And then we are a sent people, sent into the world, a traveling story. The amazing thing at Pentecost is that people would come from all over the world at that time to Jerusalem. And so they were, they've come from all of these areas. And so where do they have to go? Once Pentecost is over, they go back home. You see, the spreading begins of the good news, right, of the church now moving into the world where once it was very localized, now it's gonna go to the ends of the earth. And we see that happening through the whole book of Acts. <clears throat> you see, this wasn't just, all of this, this isn't wrapped up in a moment. That's like, well, that's pretty cool for Acts chapter two, that early church. What that was was a new beginning, 
It was a new beginning that has kept going and finding us today. Austrian composer Gustav Mahler says, tradition is not to preserve the ashes, but to pass on the fire. We stand in a tradition of the Spirit of God filling people, of the gospel being proclaimed, the gospel being lived out in Jesus Christ. Those are not just our roots, but that's the torch to fire that we now have, that we take into the world. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. <clears throat> have you ever thought about what that is? It would become the New Testament, part of what they were, as they were teaching, but, but let me even give you a little more context, because as a disciple, they were a student of a rabbi. And who was their rabbi? Jesus, right? Whenever it's either God or Jesus, usually when the pastor asks a question like that or your Sunday school teacher. Right. <clears throat> and so Jesus is their, their teacher, right? For three years, they've been with them. But here's the deal. Here's what we don't always get. To be a disciple meant you just didn't learn what your rabbi had to teach you. You actually learned to live their life. Your goal as a student was to replicate the life of your rabbi. And so you look at the life of Jesus. And what you find is Jesus, first and foremost, was devoted to the scriptures. Early, a young a, a kid, he's at the temple, sitting with the scriptures and with the teachers and other people. Frequently, Jesus is at the synagogue, opening up. He refutes temptation in the wilderness with scripture. Jesus is always saying, you've heard it said, quoting the Old Testament, and then translating it through now God among us of what it means. Jesus, over and over again, lived his life from the scriptures. And Jesus also gathered or in community with folks. Jesus was always around tables. Probably pancake breakfast minus the sausage and bacon. I don't know that the good Jew would eat that at that time, but, but maybe the pancakes, some unleavened pancakes, I don't know. Uh, uh, but he was always at the table with people because there's something happens in a relationship when we're presence with, present with, with, with each other around tables and food, which is why I'm so excited for these griddles. There's going to be a lot of fellowship and presence happening through these griddles. But isn't it amazing that the iconic, we're going to celebrate this next week, but the, the, the image, the meal, Jesus gives us a meal as a center point even for our faith, the Lord's Supper. Tell me that's not significant. And then Jesus prayed constantly, he prayed for discernment, the choosing of the 12. He would frequently withdraw and pray. He just sought, sought God's presence both to fuel his own life and ministry and spirit, but also to stay connected. And Jesus lives this generous life. We just see him healing and touching and being present with people, giving his life away all the way in the fullest form so that we could be forgiven. Jesus was just generous. He gave his life away. And then in his final teaching after resurrection, he has his disciples together. And at the end of Matthew, he says, I want you to go. Go and make other disciples. In other words, I want you to teach them what I said, but you need to learn how to live the life. You've now understand to live the life that I've lived. I now want you to invite others to live that life with you. This is what they devoted themselves to. You can see how much bigger it is, like the teaching of the scriptures is about life, not just words on a page, <clears throat> and the power of scripture. My goodness, it's like, it's like a plant. So I was supposed to water the plants this past week, 
This is a minor confession, not a full confession, just a minor one. So Ann and the kids were in Mexico on a student ministry mission trip, which they had an amazing time. And my job was to water the flowers at home. And so it rained once. And so I said, that's good, at least for a couple days. And I did an okay job. But then, like, she noticed, you know, those hanging baskets aren't looking too good. And I was like, oh, yeah, those hanging baskets. I did water them once. But, but you know, a, a plant, a tree, it needs constant water. It needs to take in nutrients for it to flourish and thrive. And as soon as that's removed... Right, it starts to wither, it starts to, to die, it starts to shrivel up. And it's the same way God's word, the scriptures, are one of the ways that God just infuses us, that gives us his nutrients. It's one of the ways we experience him. In Hebrews chapter four, it says, the word of God is alive and active, sharp, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide the soul and spirit. You might say it cuts to the heart. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. We experience God through the scriptures. Psalm 119, one of the famous psalm verses, it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I love that. But if you ever thought that God has now written his word on our hearts through the spirit and that we actually become that illumination, not just for us to see, but now other people see God, can experience God through the interaction with God's presence that indwells us. I mean, like, this is huge. I could go on. But I think one of the things I want you to remember to take away as you think about the scriptures, as you think about the word of God, is this. The Bible is not a book of information about God, but it's the writings by God, from God, about the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, God, from the beginning to the end, has a story that is being written, right? And it all points to Christ. And now we live in the day where we get to have him indwell our very lives to be his hands and feet until that harvest is complete. We've already began to taste it. And that pulls us to want more. You have this bookmark. Everyone has one of these? And so each week we're just gonna say, what are some ways that we can, some practices that we can begin living into this devotion? If, if God is cutting us to the heart, and I pray that he does at some point in this series, or maybe it's gonna be a series of just you feel the spirit doing something in your life, but this week, we just wanna say, let's read the scriptures for 30 days. A few weeks ago, I said, would you submit, send me, email me, text me your favorite Bible verses? And we picked 30 of them. This is from you. So this is the people of God speaking in. And so we just want to say, what would it look like to read one chapter a day, 30 chapters, 30 days, with just a few simple questions, opening ourselves for the Spirit to lead our lives, asking ourselves, what am I learning through what I'm reading? How am I challenged by what I hear? Do I have any questions? What do I don't, is there something I don't understand or I don't quite get? And is there a way I should respond? Is the Spirit impressing something on my life that you just say, you know what, I need to... There's a piece of repentance, or I need to align my life, or I need to go, or sit, or whatever it is. But I, I can't wait at the end of 30 days, and as you, as you do this, I would say talk to each other, share with each other, but we're all going to be on the same page starting today, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin with the Sermon on the Mount, a collection of Jesus' great teachings. Chapter 5 is today. Uh, take the challenge. Devote yourself to the reading of scriptures. Let this tool help you. <clears throat> But here, I'm going to close with just uh, one of the stories that Luke tells at the end 
of the Gospel of Luke, right before the, the Spirit is getting ready to come at Pentecost, but Jesus has been resurrected, and a couple of guys, of his fo- a couple of followers, are walking on this road to Emmaus. Perhaps you've heard this story. <clears throat> and Jesus kind of comes up to him. He appears, right? Because he has this new body now, which is not, you know, our old bodies can't inherit the kingdom of God. So he's... Uh, He's walking along. They don't, they don't recognize him at first, and, and Jesus is just talking with them. And he starts explaining all the things that had happened and how the scriptures talked about Jesus and how they pointed to him and how they, need, and how they were fulfilled. And then I love this. They were just listening, and they were taking it in. And then Jesus sits down. They have a meal on the beach. And when he breaks the bread, right, when they share the food, like their eyes are open. And, and they want Jesus to go further. They, they want more. You can see something happened there. Their, their hearts, were, they were cut to the heart, and they wanted more. Jesus, stay with us. Jesus, tell us more. And Jesus says, I got I to gotta go. And then when he goes, they look at each other, and they say, we're not our hearts burning inside as he shared the scriptures with us. My hope for you, my prayer for you this week and in the weeks to come is that your hearts would burn inside as you just read and reflect and mull over and let God speak to you through his word as you read these chapters or however you're engaging scripture these next weeks. Friends, our adventure begins. Devotion. Reimagining what it means to be the church, but it begins with us opening ourselves for the spirit of God to really open us up. And then we take that first step of devotion of engaging his word. I hope it's a great adventure. Let your imagination go wild. Let God work in your life. I want us to close and maybe even we'll stand here in just a minute, but I'll, I'll tell you, it was, I don't even know, maybe it was six months ago, we had a, <clears throat> a staff retreat and we were thinking about even this series then, which is just so crazy that it would bring us to this moment. Um, but we were sitting with Acts chapter two and I said, what would it look like if that was lived out today? Right, that we take that fire and we translate it. Could those words be true of us today? And, and what you have on your, your pathways on the front of that, and it's going to be up on the screen, is kind of a remix, as if the values, the things we believe in, who we are today, if we were living those out, what would happen? And I would love for us to stand and just say this together. And we're going to do this each week, if you will indulge me. So stand and we'll say this together. Are you ready? They devoted themselves to the scriptures, to genuine community, to gathering around tables and to prayer. God was powerfully moving through their generous service. Their friends, families, and communities noticed their authentic worship and life-changing love, and God deepened and grew his church every day. Father God, that is our prayer. God, we just pray that you will cut us to the heart. That God, whether it's for the very first time, maybe it's finding a relationship with you, having the Spirit come into our life for the first time. We've never experienced that before. Or for many of us that have experienced that, God, that you would just rekindle the fire of your Spirit in our lives and that, God, you would pull the devotion out of us. That, God, we would, our hearts would burn for more of you beginning this day and the days to come. And so, God, as we sing this song, as we just worship you, God, we just, we just throw open our lives. And, God.
God, may we just sit with your words this week that you have authored that aren't just words on a page, but God, they are the very power of the spirit that comes into our life. God, move us, dwell us. God, may your spirit be undeniable in us and to the places where we live, work, and play. God, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said,